Well, Dale Carnegie, in his book, How to Stop Worrying and to Start Living, um, tells the story of Mary Cushman. And Mary Cushman was, uh, during the Great Depression, uh, her husband earned $18 a week. And these $18 was barely enough for them to survive, but even his work was sporadic, so sometimes that was not even there. And so they had to scrounge to get by, and they never had enough to feed or clothe their family of five children. And after a series of accidents and illnesses and a variety of setbacks, uh, he lost his job and they lost their home. And life continued to get harder and harder as they tried to make ends meet and tried to provide for their family. They racked up a $50 debt with the grocery store, which was not a small sum of money. And one day the grocer uh, accused her 11-year-old son of shoplifting. And this was just a breaking point for her. As her son was humiliated in front of others, as their family was humiliated, uh, she really got to the end of her rope. She said, I made myself ill with worry. And consumed with that worry and frustration, her spirit was crushed. And a few days later, she took her five-year-old daughter and went into the bedroom and plugged up the windows and plugged up the door with newspaper and turned the gas heater on without lighting the heater. And as she lay there smelling the gas, she reflects back on it and says, I closed my eyes and listening to the gas escape from the heater she said, I shall never forget the smell of that gas. But as she was laying there, she began to hear music. She forgot to turn off the radio in the other room, and, and she hears the music play through the door, and the music continues, and she heard someone hearing the words, singing the words of a hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And as she heard the words of this song, she, she lay there and realized that she has made a horrible mistake. And she jumps up and opens the door and opens the windows. She says, I had tried to fight all my terrible battles alone and realized that she was not alone. She said, I wept and prayed all the rest of that day, only I didn't pray for help. Instead, I poured out my soul in thanksgiving to God for the blessings he had given me. Mary Cushman had found herself in a place of desperation, a place of despair, a place where she had hit rock bottom, a place where she had run out of hope. She lost her purpose in life and her purpose to live. But in the moments of listening to that hymn and listening to the truth of Jesus, she's reminded that she is not alone. And so do you find yourself in a place of despair this morning? Do you find yourself in a place of discouragement? Do you find yourself in a place with a sense of 
division. Maybe division in your household, division in your workplace, division in this country. You find yourself at a low place, and it may not be as extreme as, as Mary Cushman, but you are feeling it. Your tank of hope has run out. All of us run out of hope from time to time. We find ourselves in that place where even the most optimistic among us are, are questioning what's going on around us. We find ourselves lacking the hope that we reach for in those situations. And so maybe you're here today out of a moment of desperation instead of a moment of inspiration. And you sit here wanting a word from God, needing a message from God, needing him to speak hope into your situation. Speak into where you find yourself. And so hear these words from God, this message of hope. Hebrews 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hope is an anchor for the soul. It's an anchor for the soul. And so what is an anchor? We have a lot of water around here, and so we're familiar with boats. I've heard they exist. We went to San Diego this summer and got to go um, onto the, the aircraft carrier that's there in the harbor and go through the place where the chain, which is this big around, attaches to the anchor. It is the most dangerous job on this ship to operate the anchor. But the anchor is one of the most important parts of the ship because the anchor is what plunges down into the depths of the water and hooks onto and weighs down onto something so that even in the midst of winds, even in the midst of storms, the boat stays put. And the boat stays where it's supposed to be because the anchor has attached itself to solid rock, to something that holds it into place. And so hope is an anchor. It holds us in place. And it's important for us to have this anchor because we have a very important vessel. And that vessel is the soul. The anchor of the soul. And the soul is that part of us that is intangible. It's a part of our being that, that is God-breathed. It's the essence of, of who we are. And the soul needs an anchor. It needs a place to, to set into the rock. It needs something to hold on to, even in the good times of life, but more importantly, into those hardships of life. And so if your, if your soul is not firmly anchored, if it is not attached to a solid rock, it's susceptible to the storms of life. And that soul can become sad. It can become bitter. It can become cynical. 
The soul must be anchored to a solid rock. And so where does that hope, that anchor, come from? Well, let's look at the verses prior to this. Starting back in verse 13, it says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. We're the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. It enters, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest. And so where does that hope come from? It comes from Jesus. The Hebrew writer here gives us this history lesson, reminding us of the story of Abraham, reminding us of the promise that was given to him, a reminder of the promise that he would have descendants, which we remember in the story is this laughable thing because Abraham is way too old to be having kids. And yet he's promised this. And Abraham believes the promise. He believes God will deliver on what he has promised him. And it took 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. And so he is waiting for this promise to come. And 25 years later, he has a son. And he does not live to see the fulfillment of the entire promise that's given to him. And so Abraham patiently waits. And so how long have you been waiting? How long have you been waiting for the fulfillment of that promise? How long have you been waiting? How long have you been in that dark night, waiting for morning to come? And so Abraham is a, is a hero here because he anchors himself into the promises of God. And that's where he finds hope. Long after his time, we're still talking about Abraham, and we're talking about him as, a, as an inspiration of faith, a model of faith. Paul says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Abraham didn't experience that. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelieving rega- uh, unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. 
power to do what he promised. And so Abraham is a model for us, an example of faith, someone who holds on to the power and the promise of God. And so is that what you will anchor to today? Is that what you will hold on to? Do you trust the circumstances of life? Do you trust the things that you can see and the things that you can touch? Do you trust in the election of a few days ago? Do you trust in your job? Do you trust in the things that you can see? Or are you going to hold on to the promises of God? Will you hold on to that anchor? Don't set the anchor of your soul on anything else. That is your vessel. And the world is unsteady and unpredictable. And so anchor your hope in something that stands. Anchor your hope to the throne room of Jesus, the rock in which all other things stand. And so we find ourselves in times of despair. We find ourselves in times of discouragement. We find ourselves looking at the situations around us and just being overwhelmed. But, but the promises of God are bigger than any of those circumstances. The promises of God are bigger than elections. The promises of God are bigger than a lost child, are bigger than a lost job, are bigger than any of the situations that you see yourself in. And so if we anchor ourselves in the promises of God, will it make a difference in our life? Absolutely. It will make an incredible difference in our life. We, we have faith in God and, and a belief in eternity, and if we live into that faith, we experience life in a totally different way. And so what does hope in Jesus give us? The first thing that hope in Jesus will give us is a different place to look. We need a different place to look. The TV isn't it. We need a different place to look. We have a tendency to focus on the physical and on the immediate, and we get hung up on those things. But when we are anchored in hope, we are looking somewhere else. Again, the Hebrews writer reminds us, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we, in our circumstances, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We are looking in a different place. And so when we experience division, when we experience despair, when we experience disappointment, there is Jesus. And there he is calming the storm, talking to sinners, feeding the poor, raising the dead, preaching the kingdom. That is the Jesus that we serve, and we fix our eyes on him and his example. And so we're not looking at the physical, we're not looking at the immediate, we're looking at the spiritual, and we're looking at the eternal. That's the new thing that we look at when we anchor our hope in Jesus. And if we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're, we're fixing them on his kingdom and his values and his promises. 
He gives us promises of, of the spiritual and of the eternal. We look to him as our source. I think especially when we experience times of division like now, we see his promises in Galatians chapter 3. He says, For all of those who are baptized and in Christ, for those who have put their hope, who have put the anchor of their soul into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so now we are now with him. We're looking at things differently. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are a part of the promise that was given to Abraham because we have clothed ourselves with Christ. We have put the anchor of our hope on Christ. And because of that, everything has changed. And so now the divisions that come between us no longer exist. If we're looking to Jesus and his kingdom, then I see people in a totally different way. I'm looking not at the physical, I'm not looking at the temporary, I'm looking at the spiritual, and I'm looking at the eternal. And so now the things that divide us, things like race and status and gender and anything else like a political party that divides us is now irrelevant because my hope is somewhere else. It is not in the physical. It's not in the immediate. It's in the spiritual and in the eternal. And I'm looking at Jesus and he desires, above all things, for us to love one another and show unity. The second thing that hope changes for us is it gives us a different way to think. Our mind can be our greatest enemy. It can be our greatest ally. But how we think is so important. How we think about the world around us can impact our attitudes. It can impact those around us. That if we are thinking in a certain way, the attitudes that we exhibit to others will be experienced by others in powerful ways. Colossians 3 reminds us to set our minds on things above not on earthly things. That when the anchor of our hope is on Jesus, the important things are not earthly things. The important things are heavenly things. And we put our mind on those things. We think about those things. That's what we consume. And so by putting our minds on things above by looking to Jesus and his kingdom, it changes the way we think about division. It, thinks, it changes the way we think about despair and disappointment. It doesn't become so overwhelming. It becomes something that is manageable because Jesus is on the throne. It's not something that is crippling. It's not something that should cause us fear and anxiety. We don't have to worry. Those are all wrong-headed thinking when our anchor is Jesus. And so the way I think about elections, the way I think about pregnancies, the way I think about illnesses and losses and setbacks are different because of hope. Now, sometimes the head and the heart are worlds apart, right? 
And so those are things that are easier to preach. And so I don't want to, to trivialize or minimize the heartache that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing. Because we have a head that thinks a certain way, our heart is sometimes slow to follow. And so as we face a future that is questionable, a, a future that is uncertain, we face a future with a child with a disability, there are many days that my heart are not in alignment with my head. And that's where we need the body of Christ to rally together and remind us of the truth and remind us of our wrongheadedness. That what we think needs to work its way into the depths of our hearts. And that's the process of growth that we all go through. But you will not get to that point if you're not anchoring your soul in Jesus. Third, it's going to change the way we live. A different way of living. If you're anchoring your hope in Christ, it's going to provide a different way of living. If we're looking in, different, in a different place, if we're thinking in a different way, then our lives are going to be drastically different. Our actions and priorities are going to change. New life in Christ is, is the best way to live. It's the only way to live. And there's a divine expectation in everything that we do. And there's a sense of endurance that comes from hope. Abraham waited. He waited a long time. And often we are waiting. And so think about how oftentimes we confuse hope with a quick fix. God can calm a storm. He can move a mountain, but not always on our timetable. And so we find ourselves in moments of despair, and we want an immediate fix to it. Last week, I was at a preaching seminar in Dallas, and on Monday night, you know what Monday night was and what Tuesday was, on Monday night, uh, our speaker was Sarah Bessie, who is a preacher from Canada. It's interesting to hear a Canadian perspective on Election Eve. That's not the point of the story. So she spoke, and one of the things she talked about was her trip to, a mission trip to Haiti in which they were going to build a school, and somebody had donated to them a piece of land. And they went out and scoped this piece of land, and they got there, and it was just piled full of rubble, a mountain full of rubble. There was no way they could build anything on that lot. And so they left very discouraged, went back to Canada and did what Canadians do. And so... <laughs> not have elections on Tuesday. And so, and, and so they, go, they go back, and they go, they go back to Haiti much later and go and see that this lot is now cleared. And they can now build this school. Because what happened years in, in, in process was a man showed up with a bucket and with a shovel and with a pickaxe. And every day he would come with a bucket and a shovel and a pickaxe. And eventually that mountain was moved. Now sometimes God will move that mountain for us. And other times he will give us the strength 
and give us the hope to get a bucket and get a shovel and get a pickaxe and go to work on that mountain. And so if we have hope that is rooted in eternity, hope that is rooted in the spiritual, then we can look at those mountains differently. And we can behave and live in very different ways. That we have the endurance to take that bucket to that mountain and move it day after day after day. Because we have hope in an anticipated future that is much different than our reality today. And so if we have that hope, our lives are going to be different. We're going to view those mountains differently. We're going to behave differently. And oftentimes, we don't see the immediate results in those things. We don't see the immediate fruit. We look at that mountain, and we think, God, why aren't you moving that mountain? And he says, there's the bucket. (laughs) And as followers of Jesus, we go and pick up that bucket, and we go to work because we know that there's something better. Philip Kinnison says this, we may or may not see the reign of God manifested more fully in our day. We may not see the results of it. But we must not give up hope that God will do what God has promised to do. I'm going to live differently today because of what God has promised, regardless if I see the change happening that I want. Hebrews 11 gives us this whole list of spiritual heroes. And we read earlier Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about this analogy of the race that goes before us. That that Abraham and all of these other heroes have run the race. And this race is not an individual race. This race is a relay. And they pass that baton from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And that baton has been handed to you. And so will you pick up that baton and continue the race? Or will you see the mountain in front of you? Will you see the discouragement? Will you see the despair? Will you see the division and sit down and take your running shoes off and walk home? Or will you take that baton? And will you run with that baton? Knowing that Unless Jesus decides to come sooner rather than later, that race is going to extend far beyond your lifetime. And you may not even see the next person that you hand that baton off to, but you're going to run that race, and you're going to run it well, because your hope is anchored in Jesus. Because of this hope, we know that we can cope with any hardship of life because of our hope in Jesus Christ. We can cope with any hardship because of our hope in Jesus Christ. And so as we wrap up, I want us to read this key verse from Hebrews 6 one more time, but this time I want to read it from the message. Listen to the picture here. We who have run... For our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. 
It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances, right to the very presence of God, where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. And Jesus has taken up permanent place as our high priest. He's not up for re-election. And so will we grab onto that hope with both hands and never let go? Regardless of the situations that we find us in, regardless of our temporary circumstances, regardless of the divisions, regardless of the despair, regardless of the disappointments, will you hold on and never let go? Because that is where our anchor is. And so we grab hold of that. And so this morning we ask the question, is what I'm hooked on stronger than what I'll go through? Because we all have anchors. And some of those are puny little toy anchors that aren't holding on to anything. And some of those are anchors that haven't even left the boat yet. What have you attached yourself to? What have you hooked yourself to? What are you anchored to? Are you anchored to a political party or a candidate? Because they are going to lose, and if they didn't lose on Tuesday, they will lose at some point. Are you going to anchor yourself to a retirement account? Because stock markets go bad, accounts dry up, are you going to anchor yourself to a career because there's always somewhere, someone younger and more talented? There's always layoffs. There's always closing companies. Are you going to anchor yourself to some sport or activity because there will always be a team that's better and your team will lose? Are you anchored to a relationship because people leave, they injure, and they pass away? Are you going to anchor yourself to a church? Because churches will divide, churches will sp split, and people will fail. Or are you going to anchor yourself to Jesus Christ? The only one that we can anchor ourselves to that will not disappoint. The only one that will be consistent through our division, despair, and disappointment. And so have you said yes to Jesus? Have you anchored yourself to him? If you have not anchored yourself to Jesus, you can change that today. You can make that confession of faith. You can confess your sins. You can believe in him. And we would love to join with you in that experience today. If you need to anchor yourself with Jesus through baptism this morning, you can make that confession. But for our, those of us who have made that confession, what are ways that we haven't quite put the anchor out yet? We don't want that to quite anchor down because we want to hold on to something else. We want to anchor to something else. This morning for our time together, uh, we're going to spend some time at the table in celebration of communion together. It's a reminder of the bread. It's the reminder of the cup. It's the reminder of Jesus as we celebrate the hope that we have in him. Being able to experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the best way to, to show our hope. To be able to celebrate through communion this morning shows where our anchor is. And so for those of you that are serving communion this morning, if you want to go ahead and head on to the back and be preparing uh, for that, the praise team is going to sing with, or we're going to sing together. They're going to lead.
uh, through this time. They're going to start with a verse of a familiar song that hopefully has a little fresher meaning this morning. So they're going to sing that first verse, and then we're going to pass uh, the, the bread after that first verse is sung. Um, and use this as a time to meditate and celebrate on what Jesus has done for us. Uh, after that, they're going to sing a couple more verses, and then we'll pass the cup uh, and be able to share that way, and then finish up with another verse of the song. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. And as we celebrate communion together this morning, I pray that we can remember and hold on to the anchor that we have, the anchor of our soul that rests in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.